I was just looking at a bunch of our old videos and things and came across this one from Moving Day, uh, December 24th, 2014. We came into this room, and I, I promise you, if any of you on that night would have said, hey, I, I got to tell you this, in September of 2018, we'll pretty much, you know, expand our space. And what I, I, I just smiled at you and said, you're sweet, you're delusional, <laughs> mentally insane, but I love you. I, I'm, the song was overwhelmed, and there's no better word to describe uh, the feeling today. This is, this is a completely overwhelming day. So, so glad you're here. And a part of this, uh, man, the food is coming. I walked out there, great stuff. I almost skipped church, got straight to the meal. I mean, just fantastic. And we're going we're gonna to have a fun day celebrating together. We are going to start with three just amazing songs. So you got to get on your feet, and we're going to do some singing.
You can have a seat. Jesus became increasingly popular among notorious sinners, tax collectors, and other social outcasts. The Pharisees and religious scholars noticed this. The Pharisees and religious scholars said, this man welcomes immoral people and enjoys their company over a meal. Wouldn't every single one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and lose one, leave the 99 in their grazing lands and go out searching for the lost sheep until you find it? And when you find the lost sheep, wouldn't you hoist it up on your shoulders feeling wonderful? And when you go home, wouldn't you call together your friends and neighbors? Wouldn't you say, come over and celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep? This is how it is in heaven. They're happier over one sinner who changes his way of life than they are over 99 good and just people who don't need to change their ways of life. Or imagine a woman who has silver coins. She loses one. She does, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the whole house, and search diligently until that coin is found? And then when she finds it, doesn't she invite her friends and neighbors and say, come celebrate with me. I found that silver coin that I had lost. Can't you understand? There is joy in the presence of all God's messengers over even one sinner who changes his way of life. Once there was this man who had two sons. One day, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. So the father liquidated his assets and divided them. A few days passed, and this younger son gathered all his wealth and set off on a journey to a distant land. Once there, he wasted everything he owned on wild living. He was broke. A terrible famine struck that land, and he felt desperately hungry and in need. He got a job with one of the locals who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man felt so miserably hungry that he wished he could eat the slop that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. So he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and I'll return to my father, and I'll say, Father, I've done wrong. Wrong against God and against you. I forfeited any right to be treated like your son, but I'm wondering if you'd treat me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he returned to his father. The father looked off into the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son and ran out to him. He enfolded him in an embrace and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have done a terrible thing in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe we have and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he's been found. So they had a huge party. Now the man's older son was still out in the fields working. He came home at the end of the day and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant said, your brother has returned and your father has butchered the fattest calf to celebrate his safe return. The older brother got really angry and refused to come inside. So his father came out and pleaded with him to join the celebration. But he argued back. Listen, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never disobeyed even one of your orders. But how many times have you given me even a little goat to roast for a party with my friends? Not once. This isn't fair. So this son of yours comes, this wasteful delinquent who has spent your hard-earned wealth on loose women, and what do you do? You butcher the fattest calf from our herd? The father replied, my son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. Isn't it right to join in celebration and be happy? This is your brother we're talking about. He was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he has been found. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Would you stand again and worship with us?
and have a seat. Let's talk to Jesus. You gave your life so we could be here. You gave the command that we go into the world and preach the gospel. You, you gave us the ability to come together and be part of the physical expression of yourself in the world. And we are grateful today to be your representative. We know that we do not always represent you perfectly. But our desire is strong. We love you and we love your name and all that you represent. Thank you, Jesus, for inhabiting this place. Amen. So today is a no-note Sunday, which could be interesting um, because I could go on for hours and the food would get cold. But I thought on a dedication day it was important to kind of stick a stake in the ground and say, here's where we are. Boom, right here, right now, September 9th, 2018. Here's where we are. Here's where we've been. Here's where we're going. So let's talk a little bit about where we've been. And when you hear where I'm going to start, you're going to think this is going to go pretty long. Our church started in 1881. <laughs> Bunch of Swedish immigrants came over from Sweden and they congregated in the Joliet area. And there were people who had just an absolute passion to see lost people come to Jesus. And they said, we, we've got to gather these Swedes and we've got, we got to bring them into the family of God. And, and so they gathered together and they started this church and the church flourished. And if you look at the early records, which are in Swedish, but they're translated so I could read them. If you look at the early records early on, I mean, people were coming to Christ and being baptized like crazy. It was amazing. It was an amazing season. And they get up to about 1930 and they realize something. If we don't change our language, this place that we love, the First Swedish Baptist Church, is going to be a memory. And so they did two things. They changed their name and they changed their language. And i got to tell you, all I've ever done is change the name of a church a few times, but I've never changed a language, which is the equivalent of changing a nationality, changing an identity completely. You would think it would have rocked the church apart. I read the records and I see that they still kept a, a Swedish-speaking Sunday school class going for the people who love that pure language while the profane English speakers did their thing in the rest of the church. And in time, the church transitioned and grew a little more. And then they moved. They moved from the old building over on Jackson Street to Bethel Drive. And, and, and something happens during this season that's kind of sad and it happens to churches the church stopped looking at the field and they started looking at the fold. They stopped looking at the, 90, at the, at the one lost and they, and they stared at the 99. There was a lot of what about me going on. They did an assessment in 1983. And these were the words of the people summarized by the assessor. There is a lack of a spiritual dynamic in this church. We had become a union hall. We had become a moose lodge. But you name it, we had become something that was a great gathering of people, but not necessarily a place that was working to see people come to know Jesus. But God always leaves a remnant. I love remnants. God always leaves a remnant of people that he implants his heart in, and he says, if you pray, if you humble yourself, if you seek my face, I'll show up again. And there was a group of people that prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And in 1995, I got a phone call from a guy who sounded like, I'm not kidding, about 5 million years old. I'm thinking this guy is older than dirt. His name was Roger Swank. Turns out he had something called vocal dysphonia that made him sound much. He was only 65, although I was 32, so that seemed really old back then. And he called and he said, our church is looking for a pastor. Would you come and consider uh, us? And, and I came and I looked, and, and I'm telling you what, first visit, I just went, absolutely no way. No way. I could smell the clubbishness everywhere. And I'm just going, this is, this is going to be a battle above all battles. 
But I kept having conversations with Roger. And hearing his heart, hearing his love for the lost and his love for Jesus, I kept thinking, you know, if we could team together, we could do some real damage for the kingdom of God. And we came to beautiful Joliet, Illinois. <laughs> Mountains, prairies, beauty everywhere. You know, the first time they put us up, they, they put us up, I think it was in the, is it the Comfort Inn? I don't remember what it's called, but we're staring out over the Cub parking lot at those stacks on the electric, on the electric thing down there going, this is a really pretty place. <laughs> pretty doesn't call you to Joliet. God calls you to Joliet. We came. And we started seeing some beautiful transitions. We started seeing some things take place. We started seeing some things happen, but at the same time as they happened, uh, the clubbishness was just like, man, we can't let go. We can't let go. We changed our name. That was amazing. Nobody ever thought that would happen. People that knew our church and our church's reputation were like, there's no way that's going to happen. And... Uh, it wasn't long after that, actually. Today, I mean, this is crazy, but today, God has just this incredible sense of humor. Today marks actually one of the worst church business meetings we ever had. A day that the soul of our church was at stake. I'm not kidding. It was brutal. And during that week, it was one of the only times I crafted a resignation letter. And I talked to Roger about it, and he said, well, here's the thing. If you leave, we leave, and the church dies, because it would have. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a couple more weeks. <laughs> and, then, and then just this fresh wind started blowing into that place, this amazing fresh wind. When people took their eyes off themselves and put their eyes on God and his mission and lost people, amazing things started to happen. And we went from the smell of death to, oh my goodness, we're growing so much, we can't fit in this little tin can we live in anymore. And we started looking for property, and I think it was 2003 or 2004, something like that. We, we come across this beautiful piece of former farmland in Shanahan, 14 acres, and we're like, you know what, this could be it. In fact, Roger was the one and came, and he did the negotiations with the family, and before you know it, we own this piece of dirt. Yay! Dirt! <laughs> And we waited, and we worked on fundraising and all those sorts of things, and, and we just kind of kept saying, an ideal time will come. And in 2007, we had a group come in and do an assessment with us, and the first thing they said was, you need to get out of this building yesterday. Like, okay, well, so we went and put a for sale sign in the front lawn, and we started preparing for a move. And late 2007 and early 2008, we started preparing to move out of our old building. And it was an exciting time, and i got to admit to you, it was a terrifying time. That summer we did a, a sermon series on Abraham, this man who was told, get out and go to a land I will show you. Now we knew we were going to be moving over to a school in Shanahan, so we got that part. But honestly, we had no idea where God would take us or the speed at which God would take us. There was an awful lot of faith involved in the move. And honestly, it was terrifying because I'm realizing we could move this church out into a school just to put a gravestone and say, here's where we died. Three things happened during that season that made this an incredible test. A bunch of people that said they were going to come with us said we're not coming. That in itself was enough to say maybe we shouldn't go, maybe we should stay architect came to us in August and said, that building that you were going to build for $3.5 million, it looks more like close to seven. Is that okay? And he still got paid. I don't know how you do that. I want to be an architect. Anyway. And then this crazy little thing called September 2008 happened. You remember that? That little crash? That little financial thing that happened? All these three converge and we're like, is this the time to leave? Is this the time to do this? But God said, get up and go to a land I will show you. And so here's, here's some beautiful irony. Tomorrow they're going to stripe the gym floor. It's got to dry a little bit. We're not able to do our children's ministries in there until two weeks from now. Next weekend was our last Sunday at Bethel Drive. 
And the weekend after was our first Sunday at Shanahajukra. Ten years, almost to the exact date. Come and see what God has done. The school was not an easy place. Oh, the school was wonderful. I mean, the facility, I loved it. The, the principals, like the best principal in America. <laughs> Janitorial staff, the custodial staff, out of this world, fantastic. We got along famously. We'd still be there, if not for the fact that, that, that people look at a school and, and a church in a school and think you're fly-by-night. We'd have people say, well, you're fly by We were, 1881 we started. We're not fly-by-night, I promise you. We've been around but we knew we needed a permanent home. And, and, you know, during that season, we've talked about in the past, there were some hard times, dark times. And, and we, we were shrinking and we were, you know, all this. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? There came a point that I was seriously wondering whether or not it was time to sell the building and merge with another church. Just, just call it. Just call it. And let's at, least, let's at least use what God has given us usefully with someone else. Team with them. Let's go. Met with the builder specifically to find out that we could not build and that we should sell our property and that we should move on. It had become so dark that when I'd come driving down Route 6, I wouldn't even look in the direction of the property. I'd look the other way. You know what God did during that season that was great? He gave us the idea of planting a garden here. And that garden just kind of warmed my heart back to the space. I'd come and plant, and I got to be honest, I'd, I'd work that ground, that stony Shanahan ground, and I'd say, this feels a lot like doing spiritual work in this area. Rocks and bad dirt. And then this builder comes back and says, you know what, here's what you could do, and here's the amount of money. And I'm like, okay, we've been down this road before. When are you going to turn and say, no, it's really $7 million? He's like, no, it's not. This is it, guaranteed. And so we talked to the congregation, and, and we had meetings, and we had this church meeting in, in July of 2013? 14, 13, 13? Anyway. And the congregation votes unanimously, let's do this. And it wasn't just a vote, it was a, we're, we're financially committed to this. We're in. And I got to tell you, I, have you ever seen a storm break? Have you ever just been in nasty clouds, wind blowing, rain, blah, 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 and all of a sudden, boom, the storm broke. And it has been sunshine and beauty ever since. It's crazy. Come and see what God has done. December 2014, Christmas Eve, we had our very first service in this space. And we're just cranking along and we're having a great time. I mean, it's been fun to add new families to our family. It's just been great. I got to admit, being in Illinois has been challenging. The relocation factor, I'm starting to feel a little bit more like we're, we're a military church where, you know, you're kind of shipping in and out all the time. But it's just giving us opportunities to involve people faster and to get ministry going. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a great time, a great run. So we're in this season, and at some point, I believe it was Kim, says, you know what we should do? We should build another building. And I'm like, you are out of your picking mind. I'm just liking where we are right now. I'm liking what we're doing right now. Let's breathe for a little bit. My wife doesn't like to breathe. She literally holds her breath. I mean, so anyway, she started saying, no, we got to move toward this and meeting with builders and talking and planning. And, and before you know it, they throw this gym idea out in front of us and a price tag on it. And I'm just like, well, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Within that 10-year period, it's not just a matter of us getting a toehold onto the property, but now we've actually got a building sizable enough to do some serious damage for the kingdom of God. Part of the reason all of that is possible is because of the way that you all have stepped up and been incredibly generous. And I, I, I'm going to have John Beaker come right now. And John was asked to, to talk a little bit, and I, I really kind of scrambled his eggs this morning because he thought it was going to be like during announcements. Instead, it's during this time. And anyway, um, I, won't, I won't totally interview you because I know that you're pretty good at prepared remarks and you've probably got it all memorized, boom, the way you want it to go. But I, I just I thought it would be good to kind of track, you know, what this project cost us and where we are today. Because again, this is a come and see what God has done moment. Right, so. right. Uh, 1.5, uh, 
Nine. What? Not seven million? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. No, I'm going to give you three okay. numbers. Okay, okay. Because uh, everybody loves numbers. It's a lot. Oh, they do. Yeah, no. 1.5, 900, 650. Okay. okay. 1.5, 900, 1.5 is the number that when we decided to take this project on, and by the project we were talking about not just the gym and the foyer and all, all of what needed to happen in order to make that take place. We knew parking was a big problem for us, a mm -hmm. huge problem, maybe, maybe even the biggest problem that we had uh, in terms of being able to accommodate as many people as possible. And so uh, the project, this phase two project, uh, encompassed the gym, the parking, and your favorite topic, the water. The water. Well, it just needed to be done. Everybody knew that it needed to be done. The beautiful, sweet water. So one one point five million dollars, and when we you know when we recognized that, we thought, wow, that's um, you know that's going to do a number on our mortgage. That's definitely going to going to have an impact. And so, um, you know, we put it to the church and said, okay, uh, this this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to take. And you know, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but uh, you can find God in the numbers, hmm. which is part of why I love. Uh, looking at mm. the faithfulness of this church. Mm. $900,000 is what Southfield has contributed toward that project, which means this. It means that the mortgage that we take out is going to be under $650,000. Great. That's incredible. Great. That, it is I mean, incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. As a group of leaders, we never thought that that mm -mm. was going to be possible. Mm -mm. And uh, by, by the faithfulness of, uh, of the people here, that's, uh, that's where it's at. So there's a little bit more to go. Uh, there are a few things that we're not doing. We still we haven't purchased sound panels because we're conservative, and that's what we do great <laughs> on, on these things. And so really, really the message is... But we um, went crazy and did a gym floor. We did! We yeah. did, and the, the yeah. floor is going to be awesome. The floor is... I walk, later today, take your shoes off and walk on that thing barefoot. I want that thing at home. This yeah, is a great floor. So we're this is a great floor. Um, but the, between now and October, we close our, our loan, ostensibly, mm -hmm. uh, in October... Uh, so between now and then is, is a great time. If you are, you know, encouraged and want to give to the building fund, it, it makes a difference in, in between now and October. It always makes a difference, but between mm -hmm. now and October especially. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. He knows that numbers and me get very scrambled, so that worked out beautifully. So we said today's a stake in the ground, where we've been, where we're going. I thought that a, a great hinge moment right now would be go, to go back and, and look at a really beautiful moment. Five years ago, a little over five years ago, we had a set of people who were involved in just a kind of a beautiful drama about a dream. Little girl, little Aubrey Lakin, who is now a preteen, Jacqueline, then Kenyon, who's now married and about to bring a baby into the world. And Roger and Janet, who for the first time this Sunday are not a part of our church. They've been here as long as I've been alive. Roger's in heaven and Janet's on her way to southern Illinois to live with her daughter. This is a little different version than the one that we put out. Normally it was just music and pictures, but in this one, Roger actually talks about the dream that God gave him for what could happen here. So his voice was a little rough. The crickets in the background are a little loud. You might have to listen a little close, but I think you'll hear his heart. <laughs> I could 
say, Janet, it was eight years ago that we stood practically the same spot. And that's when our dream began. I remember back then we had a, a successful summer day camp yes, with about did. 300 kids that attended. Mm -hmm. And most of them were from our church. They were just kids from the neighborhood. And they came for that one week. And many of them accepted Jesus before the old week was over. And I look at this property that we're standing here observing, and I'm thinking, man, this is made to order for a summer vacation. Right. These were our dreams. Now I'm old and feeling gray. I don't know what's left to say about this life. said yesterday at, um, at Rogers Memorial that felt a little bit like Joshua standing there at the Jordan River staring back at Mount Nebo knowing he was staying and we needed to keep moving told him for a long time that I refused to do ministry here without him and I promise you today from heaven, he's saying there's work to be done. Get at it. I'm a little contrarian on uh, dedications. I'm not a big believer that we dedicate places. Place is a place is a place is a place. The place is made different because of the people that are there. What we saw is that we had a church that was vibrant and beautiful and evangelistic and bringing in lost people. And then we had a church that was a shell of its former self because it, it stopped believing in the commission Jesus gave it to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then we see a school, of all things, become a place where vibrant ministry is taking place. And we have this place as well. You see what it comes down to is not so much dedicating a space, but really rededicating ourselves. Rededicating ourselves to the call of God on us. Rededicating ourselves to live out the character Christ calls us to stand for. And what was needed in 1881 was different than 1936 and different than 1995 and different than 2008. It keeps changing. We have a unique time in which we live and a unique call upon us in this very moment. I believe God's calling on us is threefold. First of all, God is calling us to stand courageously. He's calling us to stand courageously. We live in a really interesting time. We've had enough years of secular progression in our society that religion, God people, are starting to look a little bit nutty. And they're getting a little bit marginalized. 
People are starting to question the sanity of people who would actually claim allegiance to Christ and his cause. More than ever, we need to stand courageously for Christ. And that's not always an easy thing to do. I would say it's never been an easy thing to do, but people used to be more polite about it. Now there's actually overt hostility toward claiming the cause of Christ. We've seen it. We've seen it in the news recently. We see, we see Daniel Murphy come to the Cubs and, and the press and the radio chastise him for taking Christian values and saying, this is what I believe. We've seen nominees, government nominees, that, that get chastised, sure, for their political stance and sure for their record, but for being people of faith. And the fact that their faith might actually influence their life we need to stand courageously for the cause of Christ. We need to stand courageously on God's unmorphing word. It does not change. We need to stand courageously. Now you may hear that as some sort of call to be the church militant, and that, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about simply being able to say, I stand with Jesus and what Jesus said. Continuing to be a light in a very dark world. We need to stand courageously. Now, let's, let's balance that because balance is where God has us living. We need to love compassionately. Just love absolutely compassionately. Our hearts need to burst with love for lost people. Part of the reason we read those three stories from Luke 15 earlier is because that older brother, that older brother had lost a love for his lost brother. He didn't love him anymore. In his lostness, he hated his brother. And it's easy for us sometimes in our moment of courage to see lost people as the enemy. Lost people are not the enemy. Lost people are the captive of the enemy. And we are called to love them, to love them compassionately, to love them, absolutely love them. Our doors are always open to people who need to hear the love of God. You know, for a lot of years, churches had a little slogan. They'd say, come as you are. And, and we, I mean, look at me, come as you are, right? You don't have to wear your suit and your tie. You don't have to say the proper Jesus words. Come as you are. But I think in light of the Spirit of Jesus, there needs to be another part to that. Come as you are, but get ready to change. What did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Now go your way and sin no more. He calls us to something higher. And so we love people to God. We, we have great compassion for them because, because the enemy has taken captive their soul. They are not our enemy. They are a captive of the enemy. And we need to understand as a church that God has given us a very high calling. When I say compassion, we can think things like, you know, we're going to make sure people are fed. And we do that. We have, we have a, 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 a micro pantry out here that feeds people. It might mean that we get involved in some social cause. And that's important. These things are important. But sometimes we forget that a well-fed stomach without a saved soul is still a lost person. It is not enough to simply take care of social ills. God calls his church to something unique. He calls us to bring people safely home to God. The government's not going to do that. The school is not going to do that. Institutions are not going to do that. That is the unique call of the church of Jesus Christ. So we do need to stand compassionately at the same time. We need to love. We need to love compassionately. And let me give you a third God is calling us to live a cross-formed life. He's calling us to live, a, live out a cross-formed life. The word I think of here is relevant. I think God is always calling us to be relevant to the times in which we live. I, I was reading the newspaper earlier this week, and I, you know, it was kind of fun. I came across this article. Mosh pits, it must be Yom Kippur. I'm like, okay, What? And I was reading about these synagogues who are trying to uh, reach out to millennials. 
They say for a lot of millennials, walking into a synagogue feels like a civil war reenactment. And so they're doing things to woo young people, like um, meeting in beer gardens, replacing reverential bows with goat yoga, and celebrating the end of the season with glow sticks in a mosh pit. And, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting to read that, and I'm just leaving all that part aside. Here's the piece that, that just kind of made my skin crawl a little bit. The statement was made, it's about making Judaism relevant again. Now let's replace that. It's about making Christianity relevant again. It's about making Jesus relevant again. It's about making the Bible relevant again. We do not make God relevant. The Bible is as relevant as it will ever be. Christianity could never be more relevant than it is right now. We are the ones that lose relevance. Because we stop living out the gospel. We stop living out the cross-formed life. I love the concern of these people. You know what they're saying? We're losing our kids. And, and, and to keep our kids, we're not going to start doing glow stick church. That's not what it's about. It's about our kids seeing a gospel lived out every day by their parents, by their leaders at church, by the people that they love around them. God is calling us constantly to live out a cross-formed life, one that looks like the gospel. And so I ask you today, are you ready to dedicate yourself, not just a building, but dedicate yourself to something bigger? Are you ready to dedicate yourself to stand courageously for the cause of Christ and for the truth? Are you ready to love compassionately, People who need to come safely home to God. Are you ready to live out the cross-formed life in a relevant way? And that relevance being that people see that this gospel actually makes a difference. It actually makes a difference. So I told you I was going through the video file and there's one that I've always loved because it's a call it's a call to jump. I hope you'll jump with me. What may come? What may come if we live the gospel together? What may come if, unsatisfied with polite conversation, with controlled encounters, with keeping quiet, we risk stepping into our intended adventure and hasten fleet-footed into the bright white of lives as they are made to be lived? What may come if we endeavor together to resemble Christ, believing in the value of others in such a way that elevates their comfort their joy, their hopes, and their dreams above our own. Forsaking the things we are told should matter to us, laying down our rights, sacrificing our positions, giving up our means to discover new ends, risking all for the sake of the gospel, doing this for the sake of the gospel, unified for the sake of the gospel. What may come if together we step boldly into the staggering idea that many can be one because one died for many? Will others stare in wide-eyed wonder, compelled by the love that consumes us, the gospel that unites us, the spirit who defines us? What may come if we trade a common kind of community for an uncommon unity? With hands clasped tight, we approach the edge of the cliff of God's unknown. And step off together.
I hope that a hundred years from now, whatever language the pastor is speaking at this place, because I'm sure it'll change four times between now and then, that they're able to say there was this group of people in 2018 who committed themselves wholeheartedly to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they changed their world. They just changed their world. They rocked the place. That's what God is calling us to. So our servers are going to come and, and, and they're going to receive the offering uh, here in a moment. Dave, could you give us a little light? Unfortunately, the light does take a moment to warm. So good old fluorescence, they take a bit. Let me, let me walk you through a few things that you need to know uh, for today and for the weeks to come. Today is the first day that you can register for fall journey groups. And uh, my goodness, we've got a great list, including finally doing boot camp in a real gym, which is going to be crazy, right? Uh, that, that's just going to be wild and so many great options. So we're going we're gonna to take more time next week featuring the options because I think you're going you're gonna to love the selection. It's a, it's a great way to get involved in growing and growing uh, relationally. Relationally, that's a big piece of groups. We could, you know, buy a DVD and just watch teaching or whatever, but it's, but it's that context of relationship that is a real difference maker. So uh, I hope that you will consider joining a group. I know, I know some of you have hesitancies for different reasons. Some say, you know, they're nervous about joining a group because when they come, everybody seems to know their Bible more than they do. And, you know, that's why we do this. We do this to go ahead and grow. Nobody, nobody is looking down their nose at you thinking, oh, you should know more or do more or something else. They're just encouraged to be able to bring others along on the journey. So make sure you take a good look at that, at that um, list in your, in your folder today and start to think about the, the group that you might consider joining. Uh, Revive is on for tonight, so they'll be nice and full. In fact, I believe at least one of them may even be still drying out from his baptism. So this is it's going to be a, a great time uh, for them to be able to celebrate tonight. Right now, we are going to be on the move, which is really just a, a fun part of today. Uh, everybody involved in doing the service was like, wow, we're only doing this once today. We better get it right. You don't know it. Nine o'clock's our practice service. 10.30, we're sensational. All, all, the, all the goofs happen at nine. So sorry about that, nine. Uh, we'll give you a discount on your offering. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to move from here over to the gym, and in a half hour, we'll be doing the baptisms, which means that you don't necessarily have to jump up right now and leave, except that we're going to be taking your chair. So you'll have to sit on the floor. But anyway, this is going to be some incredible chaos, okay? Because we're going to have chairs leaving here, and if you can carry some chairs over, that'd be great. Please carry them. Don't drag them. We'll have stripes going to the gym. We'll have to paint arrows on them and stuff. So anyway, uh, take those on out. I, you didn't leave. What would you think of going out the front door and in the front door? Would that be better than going down the hallway? Okay, yeah. Good? Don's in charge of the universe. So <laughs> listen to Don. And we'll take, the, take them out and come in the front door. And that way we're not, you know, because the hallway is going to be kind of messy. All right. So um, chairs have got to leave here. So at 5 after 12 last night, Kim's like, here's what you got to tell them tomorrow. What was the other thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. You probably, if you brought children with you, get them. All right. <laughs> Our child care workers uh, sacrificed this service this morning to watch our kids, so please get them as soon as possible. Food is going to be moving, chairs are going to be moving, kids are going to be moving. Just stand against the wall, okay, and, and enjoy the fun, and in a half hour we'll, we'll start the baptisms, and then we'll go ahead and do the dedication. We will be starting at 1030. Uh, there are people that are showing up at that time specifically for the baptisms, and you're going to go in there and, and find a table, right? Oh, you won't be allowed in until, until they say go in. But when they get in, are they allowed to go to any table or their name on it? You can go to any, any table you want. It's amazing. Do you think she should just do announcements? Oh, that's right. 
Yeah, so if you're getting baptized, we actually would like those families to sit up toward the front so they get a little bit better view of what's going on, okay? Uh, let me just tell you this cool part. So we got this indoor baptistry. It's portable. And part of what we're going to be doing with that is talking to other church plants and saying, you know, y'all don't have a permanent facility. If you ever need to use our baptistry, give us a call free of charge. We want you to be able to use that. There was a church that actually did that for us. Community Christian in Yorkville did that for us when we were over at the school. And so that's just a piece of, of fulfilling uh, Christ's mission that we think is really beautiful. So uh, it's going to be an interesting day. We've not used this yet. Uh, we, we were going to do some sample baptisms and the water was a little too chilly still. So, so we're just kind of hoping the whole thing doesn't collapse and we're not in the news. But anyway, it, it's going to be an adventure. Being a Christian is an adventure. All right. So why don't you stand and we're going to pray. Father God in heaven, as we think now about whether or not we want to live out your calling, we want to dedicate ourselves to your purposes, I pray that the words we say will not just be a glib statement, assigning the legalese, but that we will mean it, that we'll say, I'm ready to stand courageously for Jesus and the truth. I'm ready to love compassionately like I never have before, loving people safely home to God. And I am ready to live out that extremely relevant cross-formed life that people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you know what you're doing right now. If you don't, watch the baptism video from last year tomorrow. Beautiful.